Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. Um, I want to take a moment just to um, just to pray for our, our pastor and his wife. Um, man, they're enjoying an anniversary, right? Uh, enjoying some time together. And uh, how many of you know that that people that have a heart for God and that God has a calling on their life, um, the enemy just just tends to put crosshairs on them, right? So um, I, I want to pray for just him and his family. Father, we just we thank you for for Pastor Gabe and Amanda Lord and their family. Father, we thank you for the calling that you've put on his life, for the passion that you've given him, just to, uh, to see people grow. Lord, we, we just ask that this morning, God, that you would, um, that you would just envelop their family with uh, just a hedge of protection, Father, that you, would, that you would guard them against the wiles and the devices of the enemy. Lord, that there would continue to be fruit here where you've planted him, and that all things would glorify the name of Jesus Christ. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, um, I want to take a, uh, I want to take a Sunday, a Sunday morning, and just um, I want to go over a, a few of the attributes of God, right? That that might not normally get the press coverage that uh, some of the other ones do, right? God, God has different attributes or characteristics about Him that just make Him God. His His love and His mercy, His faithfulness, His kindness, and His goodness towards us. Um, and all, all the ones that usually fill our worship songs, right? We like singing about those. You know, it's, it's, it's fun to sing about the love of God and, and, the, and the goodness of God. But um, there's a few other ones that normally don't fill our worship songs, like His, his wrath, right? His justice, right? The, these other parts of, of the Bible that you go through and you're like, huh, how about that? Go back over the New Testament. Um, so I, I, I want to... I want to take a, a look at a few passages that, um, that I feel to be pretty big implications of the gospel that are centered around the justice of God, like God's justice and what this means for believers and non-believers. So the, the title of this message is um, A Trip Up the Mountain, and, uh, and we're, and we're going to take a trip up the mountain this morning, but, but I think before we get there, I think we've got we've to wade through some nasty Right, we're gonna we're gonna wade through some dirt this morning. Is that okay? Is that all right with you guys? Okay. So, um, before we really dive in, there, there's two things I want to throw out. Um, I want to lay out probably one of my biggest concerns for both believers and unbelievers. I, I'm involved with a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. Any of you guys familiar with that? All right. So the first lesson that we go through is called denial. Denial, and 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 I think that that scripture would would testify and affirm this idea that we as humans, as humanity, we're prone to be in, in denial. Uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 says that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because what may be known of God is manifest in them because God has shown it to them. The message puts it like this, 
It says that God's angry displeasure erupts as acts of human mistrust and wrongdoing and lying accumulate as people try to put a shroud over the truth. People try to put a shroud over... Did, did you catch that? So in the New King James, it says what may be known of God is manifest because God has clearly shown it to them, but the tendency of humanity is to take what God has revealed and deliberately put a shroud over that truth, right? It's denial, and, that's, and I feel like that's, that's enemy number one this morning, and, and number two, I feel like would be over-familiarization, right? Romans 3.23 says that, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and, and you see that verse, and you're like, oh, I know that verse, right? It's first step on the Roman road. You probably quote it, right? You vacation Bible school and so on. But I heard, I heard it asked like this the other day. Have you, like, have, you, have, you, have you felt that? Have you internalized that? Like, has that become personalized for you? So the, the first passage of Scripture that I want to look at this morning is Isaiah chapter 53. And I want to look at an, at an example of people personalizing uh, sin and, and wickedness and everything that our flesh is, is, is made up of. Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to start in verse 3, and I'm, I'm going to read through verse 12 this morning. Verse 3 says that he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely, somebody say surely, surely he has carried our, sorry, he has borne our griefs. Some translations might be sickness. He has carried our sorrows or our pains. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray, and we've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. They made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. Because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. Verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed and prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my, ser- my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul into death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Now, I, I, wish, I wish we had the time this morning really to just kind of go verse by verse. This is 
probably one of the most amazing prophecies in, in all of Scripture. Um, it's, it's an awkward perspective. Like this, is, this prophecy was given 700 years before Christ ever, ever saw the cross. Yet the perspective is of people looking back on the cross as if it had already happened. But, but I talked about the idea of personalization earlier, and that's the first thing that I, that I want to note in this passage. Um, do you see how many times sin is mentioned? Do you see how many times sickness is mentioned in Isaiah chapter 53? And, and I know that the tendency is to think, well, yeah, yeah, I know die, Jesus died for my sins, right? But, but I think there's a danger in becoming over-familiarized just with that whole concept. Um, so, so Jesus, in the, in the text, the people are looking back and, and they say, it was our sickness. Like he bore our sickness. He bore our pain. Our transgressions, our iniquities. It was our peace that needed to be restored with God. And so I want to ask you this morning, um, first of all, have you, have you made that personal? When you, when you read a text like this, has it become personal for you? Do you see your sin? Like he's died for rebellion. Has he died for my rebellion? He's died for sickness and disease. Has he died for my sickness and disease? Verse 6 says that all we like sheep have gone astray. And, um, and this, is, this is one of those verses uh, here recently that's, that really resonates with me um, because we were, we were blessed with four goats and, um, and, and that quickly became six goats. And, uh, and let me tell you something, when you read this verse, you're like, all, all we like sheep have, have gone astray. And, you, and you, you think, well, you know, just kind of casually going down the path of life and you just kind of maybe veer off to the left. Goats don't just casually stray, okay? Goats will see a, a fence and, and they will deliberately test the weakness of every boundary. You can't keep these things... Okay, I mean, I, I get home yesterday and one of them's got his head all stuck in the fence, like looking back at me, you know, yelling and, and crying. And I'm like, sorry about your bad luck, you know, <laughs> went inside, you know, let him think about it, right? But, uh, I mean, how, how, many, how many of you does this idea resonate with? Like, like there may be seasons in my life when, I, when I'm going down the path of life, and I might have strayed a little bit. But Lord, help us, there's seasons in my life when I knew I saw the fence right there. And like, I'm going over there. <laughs> Fence ain't stopping me, right? So I, I think that the, the verse here, all we like sheep have gone astray. I mean, that, for me, I know that's, that's putting it mildly. Um, and you might, have realized, you might have seen the underlying references to, uh, to sickness and disease. And so the question is, well, is he talking about physical sickness? Or is he talking about a spiritual sickness? And my answer to you would be both, right? And I think the Scripture's answer would be both. See, Matthew chapter 8, he looks back on this text and he quotes this passage when he's, when he's, refer, when he's talking about Jesus healing uh, diseases and, and casting out demons and everything. And he looks back and he says he bore our sicknesses. He took our infirmities. And then Peter turns right around in, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and he says, by his stripes we're, we're, we're healed, he bore our sins on the tree. Right, it, it's, it's both, and, and, the, and the, two, the two go hand in hand, the spiritual and the physical. 
I think that it points us to a, a paramount truth when it comes to Jesus' healing. Jesus' healings that he did do, and Jesus' healing that he, that he does do right now, right? Because, I mean, he's still healing. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I think it points us to the truth that, that we're all sick, right? And he is desirous and able to heal, to heal. Amen? So if you're taking notes, um, that point number one is it's simply we're sick. We're sick, every one of us. So, so the question is, well how, well, how sick, how sick are we? Is it a cough, right? Is it, is it like COVID? You know, some person has a bad day and then some person dies. Um, I, I can tell you this, uh, it, it's not asymptomatic, <laughs> right? The symptoms of this disease that we're talking about called sin, it's going to affect every part of your life. We were born into it. David says, in sin, I was conceived. In iniquity, my mother bore me. Um, it's all-inclusive. So how sick are we? It's all-inclusive. Verse 6 in, in Isaiah 53 says that all we, like sheep, have turned astray, everyone to his own way. 1 John 1.10 says that if, if we say that we've not sinned, we make him a liar in his truth. His word is not in us. And of course, we mentioned Romans 3.23, for all have sinned, but but I want to use Romans 3.23 for a minute, and I want to bring up the context that this verse is found in, in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. In the New Living, it says, um, as the scriptures say, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good not a single one. It's almost like he thought that somebody was going to say, yeah, wait, but, but I did. And he's like, no, not one. Not one. Their, their talk is foul, like the stench from, a, from an open grave. Their tongues are filled with lies. Snake venom drips from their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. They rush to commit murder. Destruction and misery always follow them. They don't know where to find peace, and they have no fear at, of God at all. So you may be reading this, and you're thinking, Lord, those are, some, those, are some those are some wicked, evil, sick people, right? I mean, this is some pretty hard stuff, but the, the, the reality is, like, that's, that's you. That's me. That is the gravity and the wickedness of our sin in the eyes of a holy God, Isaiah says that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags before God. So how sick are we? It's terminal. It's terminal. Apart from the aid of the great physician, you have no hope. And again, I, I love each and every one of you guys here this morning, and I'm glad you're here. And so I want to make it my utmost priority to remove any shred of hope that you might have outside of Christ. Right? I want to rip that right out from under you. This thought that I could stand before a holy God and my good is going to outweigh my bad. Or, or, or maybe, oh God, you know my heart and I wasn't as good as, I wasn't as bad as so-and-so. Right? You can always find somebody that you can level set your sins with. Right? Maybe you didn't roll around in the pit of your sin quite like the person next to you. But the chasm 
that separates us from God is far and wide. I mean, how ridiculous would that be if I were to stand up here and say, man, I'm a whole lot closer to the moon than you guys are, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about here when we start level setting our sin. Um, this is the, uh, let, let, me, let me ask you something. Can, can, we, can we slip over into enemy territory for just a second? And I want to I throat punch the enemy and then slip back before he knows what's, what's going on, right? So when the enemy was talking to Eve in the garden, his question to her was, has God really said? Right? They're eating, the fruits, they're eating of the fruit of the, all the fruits of the tree except for the one. And, and his question was, well, did God really say? Let me translate that for you. Do you think he's serious? Like, do you really, do, do you think, do you really think that he's serious about, about sin? About his commands? See, this is the heart behind Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 through 3. It says, For the message of the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm in every violation of the law and every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think that we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and delivered by those who heard him speak? It is a great salvation for a couple of reasons. It's a great salvation, obviously, because of the greatness of the price that was paid. Right, the, price, the price that was prayed reflects two things. It reflects God's value that he sees in you. Right? It reflects the value that God has that he would pay such a great price. But let me tell you what it also indicates. It indicates the amount of debt. <laughs> right? it, took, it took that price to pay for your sin, to pay for my sin and my wickedness. We, we've, we've skinned the surface of um, just the fact that, that, that in Isaiah 53 that he came to deal with sin. And I want to briefly talk about, well, so how does, how does his death upon the cross, like how does that benefit wicked, ungodly, straying sheep like ourselves? How does, how does a holy God in his justice, without compromising his justice, how does he make us right? without just overlooking it. Romans chapter 4 verse 5 says that we believe in him who justifies the ungodly or the wicked. And his faith is accounted for righteousness. Right? Hallelujah. I mean, because <laughs> I know that there's room for me at that table, that he justifies wicked men like me. But yet Proverbs seventeen fifteen says that, well, he who justifies the wicked is an abomination. So how does this happen? Like, how does God do this for us? I want to jump back into our original text for just a second in Isaiah chapter 53. And there's two things that I want to pull out. Verse 6 and verse 10. Verse 6 says that the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And verse 6 says that it pleased the Lord to crush him. So the question this morning is, Who's doing the laying? Verse 6. Who's laying on the iniquity? Verse 10. Who's, pre who's crushing? Who's doing the bruising? I want to take a, a trip for just a few minutes. Um, I want to take a trip up a mountain to lay a fresh set of eyes on what God has done for us 
at the cross of Jesus Christ. Uh, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, um, some of you probably read it, revolves around um, God testing Abraham with a son. It starts out, they're in the, the region of, of, it calls it Moriah. Go to the land of Moriah. Well, Jerusalem in scriptures, in the area that surrounds, has been called by several different names throughout scriptures. One of them is Mount Zion. And the other one is Mount Moriah. See, approximately 2,000 years before Jesus was praying in the garden in the same area, there was another sacrifice taking place. Genesis chapter 22, starting at verse 1, it says that uh, it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. I want you to just soak that in. Take now your only son, right? This is, this is the promise. This is what Abraham had waited all of his life for, right? Take that dream that I gave you and go and undo everything that you've prayed and waited for God to do in your life. That, that's what he's asking him. In verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning and he saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place far off. So he, so he has his son, right, for three days. I mean, think about this. For three days, he's questioning the character of this, I mean, this God that I've been following for 25 or 30 years, and what is he asking me to do? Right? What, do I, what, what am I believing right now? Who is, who is this God that I've, that, that's asking me to do this? Three days to decide what he was going to do. Three days that his son was as good as dead. Verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, they said, he said, stay here with the, the, the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship and we will come back to you. So he's resolved. Right, he makes up his mind of what he's going to believe about God and, and, and Hebrews even offers a commentary on this by saying, well, that Abraham concluded that, well, if I do what God tells me to do and I sacrifice my son, then God is able to raise him up from the dead. And that's what he was set on. That's what, <laughs> that's what his faith, that's what his eyes were set on. Um, I mean, that's trust. That, that's, that is faith. So verse 6, it says that Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on the back of his son. Right? He took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went up the mountain together. Are you, are you seeing the picture here? The very wood <laughs> that he was going to be sacrificed on, he puts it on his shoulder and he starts up the mountain. Right? Verse 7 says that, uh, Isaac spoke to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. And then he said, look, the fire and the wood, but, but where's the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. So the two of them went together. 
And they came to the place of which God told him. And Abraham built an altar there, and he placed the wood in order. And he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. Now, if you look back in in verse 5, he uses a a word in in Hebrew, uh, the word for young men right there, and the word for lad, it's the same one. It's the same word. So the, 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 the idea is that Isaac was probably in his teens, right? He, maybe early 20s. Abraham's over 100 years old. I mean, the dude's old. Right? He's not, <laughs> Abraham's not going to take his son if his, and bind him if his son didn't want to. See, his son laid his life down. He took his own wood up the mountain and he laid his life down on it. Verse 10 says that Abraham stretched out his hand and he took the knife to slay his son. And I I want you to freeze frame this image that you have right now. His his son's bound on the altar. Isaac's father has his knife held high above him to to shove it right down into his still beating heart. Fast forward 2,000 years, there was another son. Right, there's another son praying in the garden. My God, Lord, if there's any way, Father, if there's any way, would you take this cup from me? Nevertheless, not, not my will, but yours. So my question this morning is, what was in the cup? Right? What was in the cup? Was it, was it the cross? Was it the nails? Was it the crown of thorns that they were going to jam down on his head? Right? Was, it the, what the, was it the scourge, the cat of nine tails, the, the strands of leather with teeth and bone and metal and glass that they just lacerated his back with? Or was it the robe that they yanked back off of his back so that all the scabs would be, then be exposed again? Was it, was it that? And, and I, would, I would answer, well, 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 well yeah. <laughs> right? But that, that's not all it was. Right? That, that's not all that was in the cup. See, countless Christians for centuries later would literally take up their own cross and go to the same crucifixion that the, that the Lord Jesus Christ went to. But the stories go, as they're put on these crosses and they're, they're lining the streets of Rome to, and, and, they're, and they're, they're, they're lit on fire, they're covered in oil and, and, and the Emperor Nero lights them on fire so that the streets of Rome would be lit up. He had some in his garden outside the palace that he would, he would light his garden with burning Christians. And these same Christians would go to the same cross praising God, singing and worshiping and thanking God that they were counted worthy to suffer like their master. So you can't, really, you can't tell me that the captain of their salvation, as Hebrews puts it, was cowering in a garden for fear over the same cross that they would sing praises on and worship on. So what was in the cup? There was, um, there was one martyr by the name of Ignatius. Ignatius, this is second century. And he was heard speaking these words He's, he's, he's right outside the Colosseums of Rome. 
and he hears the roaring of the lions because he's about to be fed to them, him and, and numerous other Christians, men, women, children. And these were the words that he, that was, that he was heard saying, Now I begin to be a disciple. Let fire in the cross, let the companies of wild beasts in the breaking of my bones and the tearing of my limbs, let the grinding of my whole body and all the malice of the devil come upon me. Be it so only that I may win Christ. He said, I am the wheat of Christ. I am going to be ground with the teeth of wild beasts. Lord, help me that I may be found pure bread. There was something more in that cup that the Lord Jesus Christ drank for us. I've got three verses for you. Three verses, Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 15 says, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. Take the cup filled with the wine of my wrath. Psalm 75 verse 8 says that for in the hand of the Lord there is a cup and the wine is red. It's fully mixed and he pours it out and surely its dregs shall all of the wicked of the earth drain and drink it down. The wine of the wrath of God. And then Isaiah 51, 22 says, Thus says your Lord, the Lord your God, who pleads the cause of his people, see, I have taken out of your hand the cup of trembling, the dregs of the cup of my fury. He says, I'm going to take the cup of the wrath of Almighty God, and you shall no longer drink of it. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he, when he was on that cross, there was something going on. When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was something going on there that is inconceivable that he would take on and that he would bear all of God's holy, righteous indignation towards all sin of all humanity on that cross. But he has drank every drop of the wine his wrath. As a, as a worship team comes, comes up here, I want to I leave you with something. Um, if, you're a, if you're a believer here this morning, like if, if you've one who's acknowledged your sinfulness, right, and, and chosen to receive God's free gift of grace that he's offered for you, this, this, should, this should make your heart sing. Right, because every bit of God's wrath, His judgment, has already been poured out for you. There, there's no more wrath. Like He has no more. He's, he's not waiting to punish you anymore. You don't have to live life like you're expecting God to take vengeance on you because of your sin. He's exposed. He, he, he is exposed and He is exhausted every bit of it. He's taken every bit of that. We've been in Isaiah chapter 53, but in, in, in chapter 54, he follows this idea up with, after, after Christ takes our sins, he bears our sins, our, wick, our wickedness, our rebellion. And in Isaiah 54 verse 9, it says, Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I would never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear 
that I will not be angry with you again. How good is that to read? Right? How good is that to know that you can live life in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and know that God says he's not angry with you. Like he's not mad at you. His mercies are new every morning. And it, I mean, that's, that's the power of the cross. Again, for the believer, I think there's something else here. Because God has some severity on sin, right? Like he went to the extent love for you, right? Love went to the extent that he did to remove the power of sin from your life. Now, I would challenge you to what extent are we willing to go to remove its presence? Do you see that? That, 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 that God would, would shove a knife right down, a knife of his wrath right down through his own son to remove the power of sin from your life. Am I willing to be that severe to be refined as we sung about? Right? To be tried, to be tested, to, to take and burn the dross off of my life so that I would be pure silver in the eyes of the Lord. Prayer teams are going to come down. Look, there's, you may be here this morning and, um, and maybe you haven't received this free gift that I've been talking about, right? Maybe you, you've lived in just denial of, of, of what God has, has, Scripture says, has shown about your wickedness. Maybe, you have, maybe you're running. And, and, and I, want to, I want to extend an invitation to you this morning. Yep, you're invited. You're invited. This is for everyone. You're invited to come and lay down your weapons, right? Lay down everything that, is, that has hindered you from wanting to come closer to the Father, knowing that He's already made a way that we can live in relationship with Him this morning. Right, if you're out there and, 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 you, and you find yourself in that place, I, I ask you, just do business with the Lord right now, right where you're at. I'd offer yourself to him. Here I am. Right, I, I see what you've done for me. Right, I, see, I, I see my wickedness and I see my sin and I see that your price that you paid was enough. It was enough. I want to ask Dustin to pray for us this morning. Let's, um, let's close with some worship. Um, do business with the Lord. And then uh, we've got some people praying down here at the front. Come down and, and, and pray with one of these people. Right? Seal the deal. Amen? Why don't you stand with us and we'll, we'll pray before we come into this last... Uh time of worship. God, we thank you so much that you sent your son Jesus to make us right with you. God, we thank you for the mercy and the grace that you give us even when we don't deserve it, Lord. God, as this last song says, we say just come and do. God, make me a vessel. Make me an offering. God, make me whatever, whatever you want me to be. Jesus, that's our, the cry of our hearts today. Make us whatever you want, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's sing.